This episode contains content about mental health and death. We're here. Hi, friends. Oh, I've missed y'all so much. <laughs> it's been a while. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining it's us. All right. So here we are, squeezing the juice. Um, today, we have a different type of episode. Uh, we have Sadie here with us, who we'll introduce in a minute. What's up, um, Sadie? What up? Hi, Sadie. <laughs> but let's just go ahead and get started with our check-in question. Yeah. You know, I'm like fired up over here. I'm shimmying. All right. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the lightning round check-in questions. 20 questions. You cannot ask for follow-up. You just answer it one or the other. Um, Kim, you'll go first. And then Sadie, I'll do you next. Wait, and, and are you going to answer third? Sure, we could do that. Okay. Yeah, okay. you got to answer. All right, Kim, you're going to start us off, yeah? Yes, I'm ready. Do you have any questions about the rules? No, I feel like I need a buzzer, but we'll just have to pretend. <laughs> I'm going to give you some options, and you just have to give me a one option back. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? All right. Um, pancakes or waffles? <sighs> waffles. Okay, Canon or Nikon? Oh, Canon for sure. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cruiser or double tail? Cruiser. Sushi or burrito? <laughs> sushi. <laughs> Run or sushi. bike? <sighs> bike. Free, free throw or layup? Free throw. Music or podcast? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to sound old here, but I'm going to say podcast. <laughs> My younger self hat. would be angry. Go ahead. Beanie, beanie or hat? Hat. Peanut butter or jelly? Peanut butter. Bean or cheese? Uh, cheese. <laughs> cheese. Okay. Miko mustache or Miko beard? Oh. <laughs> Mustache. <laughs> you just like vomit. Is it neither? <laughs> it's neither, but it's disgusting. <laughs> oh my god! It's zine or magazine? Uh, magazine. Because <laughs> of the color. Or- <laughs> I'm not allowed to give <laughs> explanations. You cannot explain. Sorry, skate witches. <laughs> uh, all right. Defund the police or defund the police? <laughs> defund the police. Both. Divest. All right. <laughs> okay, Divest okay. from the police. All right. Uh, for a workout, upper body or lower body? Oh, upper body. All right. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> lunch. <Ten seconds>. Lunch. <laughs> All right. 7 a.m. or 7 p.m.? Uh, 7 p.m. Soccer or basketball? Basketball. Ooh. All right. Quarter pipe or curb? Yeah, quarter pipe and final one speaking or listening oh shit <laughs> you <getting> worked over <laughs> uh, right now i'm gonna say listening <laughs> <laughs> i like it and that's time are you sweating wow, that was challenging was that good the fact that i couldn't so explain excited. made right? it mm. stressful because I wanted to defend my answers. I, I totally get it. And I get, hey, that's just right now at this very minute. And they can change in five minutes or tomorrow. All right. Yeah. Just we'll do it that. again at the yeah. end. See yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right. Some Sadie, of those sounds you are making too. I've never I wanna, some of those. <laughs> I'm curious. <ASMR. laughs> I'm curious so if Sadie is gonna choose Miko's mustache or Miko's beard. <laughs> don't I don't even, know if he gave us approval it. to use his oh. facial hair in this. I apologize ahead of time. Miko. His likeness. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, Sadie, you ready? Maybe yeah. you can change it. Can you customize them on the fly for Sadie? Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Canon or Nikon? Canon. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cruiser board or double tail? Cruiser board. <laughs> Sushi or burrito? Sushi. Um, squat or deadlift? Squat. Uh, free throw or layup? I can't do either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, free throw, I guess. Okay. Music or podcast? Music. Beanie or hat? <sighs> hat. <laughs> Peanut butter or jelly? Peanut butter. Ketchup or ketchup? Neither. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> All right, Miko, mustache or beard? Both. <laughs> oh! All right, uh, zine Ew. or magazine? <laughs> I think magazine. <laughs> um, defund the police or defund the police? Both. <laughs> All right, um, Ollie solo or Ollie with friends? Ollie with friends. <laughs> Breakfast, <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, oh, nice. or dinner? Dinner. 7 a.m. or 7 p.m.? 7 a.m. Um, let's see. Iron Man or Hulk? Uh, Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quarter pipe or curb? Curb. Uh, speaking or listening? Listening. Nice. That's time, Sadie. Dang, that ketchup one really got me. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like trying, I was like reading and trying to think, okay, how can I mix these up for Sadie? <laughs> Uh, now I want to come up with 20 for you, Ash. I know. Okay. We could do it. Next episode. Yeah, we should. I'm Oh, wait, obsessed. you should go through these, though. Who, for me? Yeah. All right. Can either of you see them? I can see them. Do you want to do, do me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Oh, shit. Okay. Ready? Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Canon or Nikon? Canon. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cruiser or double tail? Double tail. Sushi or burrito? Uh, burrito. Squat or deadlift? Deadlift. Beanie oh, or hat? I instantly wanted to change it. <laughs> Sorry, what was it? Beanie or hat? No edits. Hat. Music or podcast? Podcast. Peanut butter or jelly? Almond butter. Ooh. Hey, that's cheating. <laughs> Miko, mustache or beard? Mike, mustache, mustache or beard? Mm. Workout upper body or lower body? <laughs> lower body. Sunset or sunrise? Ooh! Ooh, that was a good Hard one. one. Sunset. Ooh, speaking or listening? Listening all day. All quarter, day. Pipe, quarter pipe or curb? Curb. Defund the police or defund the police? Defund the police. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> that 
was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that I exactly so did 20, but you crushed it. I appreciate, you know, what's funny is that like, I feel like I knew the order a little bit, but mm-hmm. when you mixed it up, I was like, oh, 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 oh. Thrown off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, wait. That Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. Oh. It's also cool to like get a little insight on how it landed for y'all. So like Sadie, mm-hmm. when I said free throw or layup and you're like, I can't do either. <laughs> To me, I'm like, me neither, but like, which one is it like, oh, which one's more? I almost put hook shot in there. Ooh. And I was like, I'm very much like a granny, the granny throw. Ooh, Under, okay. Underhand. Underhand. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Note to self. This is good. <laughs> we'll have to I like this, this again. Game. Yeah. yeah. New check right. in question. Awesome. questions. I feel warmed up. Thank you for trying uh, that on, y'all. My face hurts from smiling. <laughs> Already? <laughs> um sorry that was awesome all right i'm glad you liked we're warmed up we, we can do I think it, it's, try not to smile challenge next time just I think stare at each other <laughs> yeah tell, I tell think jokes and we can't smile i think it's funny that we all chose listening but we're literally creating a, <laughs> this is a podcast and we're all speaking <laughs> but the power of listening that's true and like this moment which we're about to talk about yes let's talk about that but first let's talk about who Sadie is and yeah and and this episode specifically like it's a little bit different than our norm um yeah so yeah um for those of you who don't know my name is Kim and that's Ashley which if you're listening that isn't gonna help say hi hi it's <laughs> that's me Ashley it me And then we have Sadie. So Sadie is our third team member for Squeezing the Juice, behind the scenes guru. Um, So Sadie's been helping us edit and uh, run our Instagram account and also just like give us feedback on the show and I don't know, like our plan for it. Um, Yes. And the reason why Sadie is here with us is because that's the role she has been playing, but also because I actually know Sadie from, um, you were my intern when I was doing mafia TV full time. And, um, we, the cool story is that the three of us actually met on the same day on the same night, actually time at the same time at an event, it was a panel in Berkeley that was put on by workandskateboarding.com and uh, what skate. was, yeah, Collegiate Skate Tour, which is now Keegan's focused on the scholarship fund. But it was a panel about literally like working in skateboarding and I was on it. And then Ashley and Sadie came, they were in the audience and we had to breakout groups after and they joined my breakout group. So I get, met you guys on the same night and then like, you know, different, pa- we went down different paths, but mm-hmm. here we are back together again um, yes that so, event was the source for sure it was amazing and yeah. i literally only went because you were on that panel <laughs> being the only woman on that panel i That's also awesome. only went for kim <laughs> <laughs> i was like we're gonna be best friends i don't know what i'm gonna say but it's gonna go we're going i feel special um but yeah so then obviously me and ashley ended up like launching the sfa chapter of skate like a girl and then sadie ended up interning for me um you know when i was still running mafia tv and here we are today and then obviously like you went on to do other stuff like graduating college um but yeah um how many years ago was that you graduating college oh (laughs) (laughs) 
lesson one. But when you interned for me, <laughs> I think that was like twenty. That was like our first year of Scaling yeah. Girl, wasn't it? Because I remember, like, you were doing it was like twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen. I don't know. You would probably have a better. I think twenty sixteen. Because you were still living in the Bay, you weren't in Oregon. Yes, that's true. I took a, so, I took a term off. I think it was yeah. 2016 then. But um, so yeah, it's a fun story, and it's also just the power of like <laughs> going to stuff and introducing introducing yeah. yourself to people and like saying hi. Yeah, um, sure. Wait, can we just say like how what one of Sadie's superpowers? Caption Queen. Can I call you that? <laughs> Whoa, that's a good Caption one. Queen. I just I came to but. You did, I like if for all those folks that sit on social media trying to figure out what to write in your caption, DM Sadie. <laughs> but you must pay her. You. Yeah. I'm freelancing now. Slide so, into my DMs. <laughs> and Sadie, if you could just post your uh, Venmo later in this episode. There great. you go. All right. You can charge Perfect. per caption. <laughs> per letter. All proceeds go to Black Lives Matter. There we go. But, but I would say you were actually like, when you started interning for me, I felt like the area that you felt like you were the strongest in is writing. Like you were a writer. Like you told me you liked writing and obviously you were um, helping, you were helping with the blog content, you know, yeah. like you did a few like articles and reviews on different stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, like that makes sense because it translates totally to like social media because social media, you know, when it comes to Instagram, like there is a caption and it does like take it's like harder than one would think you know to like come up with the caption and like the voice and all that stuff um so um so yeah that's who sadie is and we're excited to have you here sadie thanks for being here sadie Um, i'm so excited to be here crushing it and yeah today we are going to talk about what's happening in the world but also um use it as an opportunity for um both ashley and i to like share more about our personal experiences um i think it's safe to say that well i and all of us um have been reflecting a lot you know um on just sort of our own experiences and our role in this world that we live in um and we just thought it'd be a cool opportunity to have a conversation with you know about it with each other um kind of with the goal of like inspiring others to have conversations with each other friends, peers, whoever, family members. Um, and I think there's just so much power in communication and there's healing, you know, in communication, but there's also, um, inspiration to like figure out what to do next or where to go next, or maybe how to get through some of like, um, stuckness or spaces or mindsets that, you know, don't really produce anything or move things forward. Right. So, yeah. I think that's kind of the goal of today. I don't know. Do you want to, do you guys yeah. want to throw in anything? What I wanted to throw in there is just like, you know, kind of recentering like what this is about and why we decided to create squeezing the juice. And it really is about letting people be the experts of their own lives and really using the power of story and each other's story to empower one another and empower ourselves. Um, and I think uh, we originally were going to do an episode where me and Kim share our own personal stories and our upbringing and what makes us tick and who we've been and where we're going and all of that. And we really got that at this time, how 
um, interwoven our stories are to this large, larger conversation for racial justice and racial equity. And so we decided to bring those parts of our story forward um, to really acknowledge what's going on right now and how to encourage each other and our audience um, to like keep the conversation moving forward. And I think that's what's happening. What that's what's happened in the history of America is, you know, there's been a lot of different, um, there's been a lot of violence in the black community and specifically around police brutality. And instead of like, oh, it's happening again, but looking at like, how has each moment in history furthered the conversation and how can we, and um, really thinking about how it affects all of us and how we all need to play a role at this time. Um, yeah. So we'll get more into that, but I, I just wanted to bring it back to like what this project is about and why we are doing this show and the power of story and how important it is to be participating in conversation right now. Yeah. And something that I'll add, just add to that is like, even like the, the movement, the organization, the term like Black Lives Matter, like is, doesn't really, to me, it doesn't encapsulate everything because it's so easy to be like, oh, well, I'm not black. So like, that's a black community issue. But like, to me, it's really just about us as humans, like in the system, in the system of like what we call society, like in America and, you know, beyond. Um, but how like, it's a system. So we each play a role. We each have like, you know, a, a hat that we wear, or just whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think for so long, it's easy to say like, oh, well, that's not happening to me or I can't relate to that. So like, I don't have anything to say about it. Mm. Um, and I actually think that's part of the problem is that like, it's an, it's a human, like it's a humanity conversations. It's a, it's a, it's a humanity issue it's not just like one group of people or one location because even like okay we're in california it's like people like oh it's so like progressive and like open-minded and it's just that's that saying that doesn't really um move things forward you know mm -hmm. so i think that's kind of you know one of one thing that i've been thinking about a lot, a lot lately and also like um my hope for like us talking about you know our own experiences today um so just wanted to throw that on there. Um, cool. So yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that I'm excited, like why, you know, not only did I create this project with Ashley, but also like we direct skate like a girl in the Bay area, the, the SFA chapter, um, is because, you know, like Ashley, when I met you, like your story is so unique, like everything that you shared with me, like getting to know you over the years. Um, and it's not something that I, it's not, most people don't know. So I'm excited for just you to have the opportunity to share your story um, because it's inspiring. It's thought provoking. Um, and again, it's unique. It's just like everyone else that we have on the show. It's not, and no one's life is necessarily cookie cutter, but like I've never met anyone that has had the experiences that you've had and chose mm -hmm. the path that you did and ended up like where we're at today. Right. Um, so I just am excited um, for you to share that with us today. And, you know, um, I guess specifically, you know, like, let's just jump into it. But like, yeah, can you share? I, I know the story, but like Sadie doesn't and most people listening probably don't. Um, totally. But can you share with us sort of your personal experience in relationship to um, the world, but more specifically like race, um, you know, systemic racism, but also um, you know, like police and incarceration and yeah. the system, right? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I first just want to say like, I'm so grateful to even have like a platform to share the story on. Um, and because it's, it's heavily revolves around my dad, who's originally like from Australia, um, like, and he's already passed away. So I think there's something really powerful of like, I get excited to share the story. It's a very heavy story. Um, and I'll forewarn people about that, but I get excited because I think there's something really beautiful when you get to talk about people that have passed away and keep their sort of the legacy of their life, like continuing. Um, so yeah. And I, I think, a whole nother conversation, a whole nother episode is just like how we talk about death in this country um, and like this culture and how we like absorb and digest death. But um, anyways, yeah, I'll jump into it. Um, so growing up um, at a young age, my parents were divorced, um, like I think by like one. Um, and my dad, like I said, came from Australia, he actually outran like some Sicilian mafia. So I'm um, Italian and I'm Sicilian. Um, my mom's uh, Italian. My, my dad is Australian, but his dad is from Sicily. Um, and they outran Sicilian mafia, moved to Australia. Um, and then from there, my dad didn't get along with his dad very well at all. There was some abuse there. So he left the country and then moved here. And he actually changed his name when he got here for two reasons. One, to like really spite his dad. And two, um, so that people couldn't associate him with my, with his grandfather. So uh, my, or with his dad, excuse me. So my grandpa, so my dad actually has a maiden name, which is Masato, and my name is Masters. So I'm the only Masters I know because um, my two older sisters have a different dad and then my brother has a different dad as well. Um, so there's something really powerful um, for me and my last name in the story of folks that have come before me. Um, but inside of that, uh, my dad was a carpenter and um, like low income, pretty poor, like I I never really wanted to ask him for things. Um, and so like that often came from like my mom who was a little bit more middle-class, but, um, yeah, he was like a blast. He was definitely somebody that I looked up to as just like an adult, like role model and like a mentor. And he was the first person that ever showed me as a kid that I could teach him something. I remember being like six and him and me teaching him something. And I was like, Oh my God, I just taught my superhero something. And that blew my mind as a kid. And that has really informed me how I show up for young people and um, the importance of really showing up for young people, but also what that looks like. So he was always so rad and so beyond like coming from Australia. He always wore like short shorts. He had super long hair, full beard, ride a motorcycle. So he didn't look like traditional dads that I like saw other like kids have. And he would like drop me off on his motorcycle and he was just like a character and people always, whether it's his accent or whatever it was. So from a young age, I got to taught like that how I want to show up in the world can look a lot of different ways. Um, and so that was really cool. So I got to experiment at an early age with like how I wanted to dress. Cause I always wanted to shop in like the boys section and stuff like that. But, um, Anyways, so I would see him one weekend and then my mom the other weekend. And that was in itself, if you ever come from a family of divorced parents, like it's really tricky no matter what, um, especially for the child to go back and forth. Um, but uh, yeah, one, so my dad was also in a motorcycle club and being somebody that worked in like carpentry and stuff like that, he had a really bad fall from a 12-story building um, and he lived to tell about it. And he like broke almost every ba um, bone in his back. And, uh, in the early nineties, he, they had him like taking prescription medication and it would just make him groggy and he like couldn't get out of bed. And like, mm -hmm. he just wasn't being able to show up as the dad he wanted to. And I'm about, I'm in like fifth grade at this time. So I'm not really like 
sure what exactly is going on and stuff like that. And we always had a pretty honest line of communication. Um, but I know that he would teach me how to garden. We had like a chicken. I've had a snake. I've had two ducks. Like I had all these wild pets. Like again, like just like a blast of a childhood when it came to him and living at his house. Um, and so when he had that fall, he didn't want to take those prescription medication anymore because of what, how it would make him feel. Um, so he found a doctor, like I said, in the early 90s that would prescribe him uh, medicinal marijuana. And at the time, the doctor was doing it illegally. And we didn't know. Um, and so he, I remember watering our cherry tomatoes. And then I remember watering this other plant that was kind of sticky. And it happened to be a marijuana plant. But it was like just a garden that we had, right? It wasn't like he romanticized it or like made a big deal. Like, and he would smoke that like as a kid. Um, I remember him like rolling it up on like a magazine, um, and like him making salsa and like him going outside and smoking it and not noticing a difference or there wasn't, it just became normal in our house. Mm -hmm. And he was able to like show up to my soccer games or, um, stuff like that. And just like play basketball with me outside. Um, but other than that, like his back was like, he would have a hard time getting out of bed, even with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so from a young age, he always had a really like gnarly issue with his back and his like ability to be able-bodied. And, um, yeah, I remember one day going to school in fifth grade and, um, actually the night before I remember like hearing a rustling in our yard and I was a kid that was like actually really, I'd have a lot of nightmares about people breaking into our house or like ideas of like being kidnapped. Like, and I remember having to go to therapy as a kid, um, and like drawing, yeah, just like, just, I was a really hyper aware kid and having to like lock doors, um, things like that. And so I remember getting really scared when I like heard something and I remember being like, I'm at my dad's and I'm okay. Like he'll protect me. Like I feel safe there. Um, so I just went back to sleep and it was, you know, morning came and he took me to, on his motorcycle to school and I got dropped off. And, um, I remember it was lunch. It was like right before lunch. And, um, at my school, they called our classroom and they were like, send Ashley to the office. And I was like, what me? Why? And, um, it was actually, there's two reasons either. Like you get, you're getting hot food, like McDonald's or something that all like the, like extra, like cool kids that like had all the things and like parents not doing anything. I can bring you lunch or you're in major trouble. And I was like, well, both of my parents, there's no way they're bringing me hot food. Like I must be in trouble, like crap. So I go down there and I'm like nervous and like kind of shaking. Cause like, I was not like not a trouble, like kid in the classroom. Um, and they're like, the nurse was like, your dad's on the phone. And I was like, what? Okay, that's weird. And so I pick up the phone. My dad is bawling and he's just apologizing saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he told me that he was being arrested. Um, and it happened to be because there was a plant of marijuana in our backyard. And he always had a house that he allowed all the neighborhood kids to come in, eat snacks and get water or soda and like just really like wanted it to place to be and feel welcome. Um, and there was a kid on our block that um, was like the bully. He like hit kids in the head with a bat before and he was the son of the local sheriff. And mm -hmm. so um, what I found out later is that the sheriff had actually been poking around his backyard because um, he was abusing his son, physically abusing his son. And I think because that that kid had confided in my dad a lot and showed up to our house. And my dad was really, he used to like be a big brother, uh, for the boys and girls club and like a mentor mm -hmm. for young people. Um, and so he just, that was just like a part of him. He really wanted to show up for people, especially young people. So, um, we found out that the sheriff had sent somebody to snoop around in our backyard. And that's what I had heard, um, that one night when I was scared. And, um, so they busted him so that, that, so my dad wouldn't out, um, 
the what he had been doing to his son. And on top of that, my dad was selling some of that marijuana in his motorcycle club as another way to get money because like carpentry and his back, those don't mix. Like having a back injury and trying to do like carpentry or construction work don't work. So he was forced to do stuff like that. Um, in more informal economies. Um, So that was the last day I saw him in fifth grade. Um, Word got out in my school, the kid that there was a kid that lived in my neighborhood nearby. um, And he told everyone and I felt tremendous shame. And I ended up like, one day seeing him walking by himself in the hall and I like pushed him up against the wall and like just told him to keep, you know, my family out of his mouth and all that because I was just so ashamed. And I didn't know anything about what like systems in place um, Mm -hmm. to like, have me internalize things like that. And so I just felt tremendous shame and didn't want to talk about it. Um, and like to be violent to another kid at school. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was the last day I saw him. So he went to a detention center because it was a, they made it a case about deportation because he was from Australia. So he was in a bunch of the detention centers in Southern California and they moved him around a lot. And that's actually like a huge part of incarceration is they constantly move family members around. So it's hard for families to go and see their mm-hmm. folks. Um, and so like isolating people from their community adds more harm to the situation. Um, and definitely exacerbates the issue. So um, he actually got moved up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Did you get to talk to him on the phone or anything or was it just like that's a communication? That's a great question. So I, um, I used to talk to him on the phone, like, like almost every day for a long time, for Mm -hmm. a really long time. Um, And then when I got into uh, middle school, it started to like become kind of like twice a week and then it became kind of once a week. And I remember it's, I'm so glad that you asked that Sadie, because I remember being like, you know, one day, cause we have a really honest line of communication. Like that was, it was such a beautiful thing that we had. And so especially him being locked up and me talking to him about jail and asking him how mm-hmm. it is in there as like a fifth and sixth grader and seventh grader. And I remember in eighth grade, finally asking him like, I, you know, it really bothers me that you don't call me more often. And he was mm-hmm. like, and he used to call me Ashley Marie. Cause my middle name is Marie and everyone, all my family in Australia, they all call me Ashley Marie. So he'd be like, Ashley Marie, like I, uh, I don't call you as often anymore because, you know, I, I will always be truthful with you. And some days in here are really hard and I don't, I don't want to have to tell you what it's like in here. Mm. Um, and I don't want you to have to worry about me. And I was like, oh, wow. And that just like pulled at my heart, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and so in eighth grade, I remember actually like I remember graduating, going into like high school and rem- and realizing that I'm his only child and I'm the only reason why he's sticking around and fighting his cases to like mm. try to like fight this issue of deportation. Um, and I just realized he is, he is like deteriorating quicker and quicker in this mm-hmm. cage. Um, no family, nothing. And just me, like his source of like fight. And I was like, Oh my God, like I just had an epiphany of like, he should just get deported. At least he'll be with family. At least mm-hmm. he'll be not in the cage. He can like have like some freedom. He can move around the world again, um, especially having a back issue incarcerated. Like that's a whole nother ball game talking about mental health and physical health. They often put those folks in the same cells. So if you have a mental health issue and a physical issue, they're putting those people in the same cells, which is not, yeah, it is not great. Um, and so with that, he, I tell him like, Hey, like you should just get deported. I'll come, I'm going to grad, I'll eventually graduate high school. I'll come visit you. Like we had this whole plan. He was like trying to talk about like, you know, like fighting it and like coming into Mexico and trying to come see me. And I was like, that sounds like, yeah, he was like trying to do so much. And it was just, Mm -hmm. he had like tremendous love for me. Um, and so 
he got, he gets deported and he's like creating like a whole life out there. Um, and like, I go through my four years of high school. Um, and I remember I'm like, and while all this is going on, um, like say, do you asked if I was communicating with him? Actually, like my mom, like hated how upset it would make me. Cause as you can imagine, like talking to your dad and seeing how he's doing and this like superhero and like just a rad example of a man in this world. Um, like how upsetting, like to hear that situation that he's in. And so, um, yeah, I, I had to stop telling my mom about it. Cause one, she already had a lot of issues. Just there was abuse before I was born that she experienced. And, uh, there was a lot of like, she hated how much I loved him because she never got the same love. I think, um, from him that I did as his child, mm -hmm. there's an unconditional love. And so there was all this hatred that I had no idea what the source of it was. And so I just stopped talking to her about it. Um, because I didn't want to deal with it on top of all the things. So he gets deported. And like, as I'm going through high school, like I'm trying to figure out like, how do you buy a plane ticket and like saving up? I have no idea what plane tickets cost. I have like no idea. Right. And Australia is halfway across um, the globe. And so I remember getting to graduation day in high school and being like, all right, I'm gonna come visit. And I'm like, my sister, I ended up talking to my sister and my brother-in-law about it. And they're like, cool. Like, what kind of money do you have saved up? Like, have you bought a ticket? And I'm like, no. And they're like, so you're graduating. It's June and you're going to visit him this summer. How are you going to make that happen? And I was like, oh no, you're right. And I had actually just gone accepted to UC Santa Cruz and being the first person in my family to go to college. Like that was a big deal. And so I ended up talking to my dad and was like, look, I blew it. I didn't know how to save money. Like I didn't know like all the things it was going to take. So let's plan for December. So I was going to like um, go through uh, summer, get ready to go off to my first year of college. And then like, once we get a winter break, I'm going there because Australia, it's summer. It's amazing. They go surfing for Christmas, all that. And his birthday, my birthday is December. His is January. It was just going to be a huge celebration, right? And like reunite. So we were like, okay, cool. That's the plan. I started saving up all that stuff. I go off to UC Santa Cruz. And uh, in, uh, if anyone is familiar with Santa Cruz has ever gone to UC Santa Cruz, there's a thing called the first rain. And that's when it rains for the first official time um, of the year. And that happens in about uh, October. So um, I go into my like first month of college and it's like crazy. And I'm like, holy cow, like high school did not prepare me academically to be here at all socially. Like I'm ready, let's do this. But like academically I was struggling. Um, and so I was just like burying myself in it. I was excited to be there, still kind of struggling, figuring it out. So um, I was talking to my dad off and on through that first month, but really just trying to get a hold on like college. Um, and so I remember it was the first week of October, it was October 3rd. And uh, I get a phone call and I had just been talking to my, my house, my roommate, my freshman year roommate about my dad. And she was like, Oh, we should call him. Like, I want to hear his accent. Like the most common conversation having an Australian dad. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, Oh yeah, I should totally call him. And then the day kind of happened and then it was starting to rain and everyone's like, Oh my God, first rain. Oh, and by the way, everyone runs naked through the entire campus. And that's oh. why the first rain is a big deal. Not just like, <laughs> Oh, we love rain. But, and so, um, we had a bunch of people like in our room, like getting prepared, like in towels, like waiting. Cause, uh, they started at one end of the campus and it's a horseshoe shape and they come running through all the different parts of campus and then you just join the naked mass of people and then you continue um, it's just like define santa cruz right there a hundred percent naked and run in the rain a hundred percent people are like sliding on the hoods of cars on their butt cheeks it was it's wild it's like is so it's so i'm not gonna lie it was like so weird it was so uncomfortable but i didn't end up participating and the reason why is i get a phone call i also don't know if i would have anyway um, and then like it felt weird to like if i'm not gonna like participate like i'm not 
just gonna like stare and watch naked people running. <laughs> like, so like I'll just like, watch you guys. Like I'm just like flaring up all across the board. Like I don't know what I'm doing here. Okay, but we had a bunch of people in our room, um, like getting ready and getting all excited. And like, oh my god, I hear they're coming. Whatever. And I, my phone rings. My cell phone rings, and I see the area code, and it's Australia. And I'm like, mm. oh my god. And I just instantly had this feeling of like I got pissed. Like I just overcame with like anger and like like, what do you want? Like kind of feeling. And I have no idea why. Um, I, but I do know why after the fact, but we live next to a stairwell. So I go in the stairwell. Cause there's like a huge naked commotion in the room. I go into the stairwell, I answer the phone. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> like I'm all aggressive for no reason. And it's my dad's best friend, Jeff. And he goes, Ashley Marie, like, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your dad passed away today in his sleep at 4 PM. And my world Literally, like you see in movies, like slow motion, crumble. And I just start going, don't tell me that. Don't fucking tell me. Like yelling. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, how dare you call me and tell me something like that? Like just bam, like just out, like out of reality. Now I'm like, I hang up, I call my mom and I just start telling her all these things that I've been holding back this whole time. Like I could never talk to you about, you know, and I just blame her and make her so wrong mm -hmm. for the whole situation. She's like, why did they call you and tell you they should have called me? I was like, why would they call you? You hated it. You know, just like going. Mm -hmm. So he passed away in his sleep. Um, and I'm in college uh, in October. I'm like five weeks into the first time ever experiencing college and college. And I have to fly to Australia. I'm his only child and I have to pack up his house and I have to like pick out his outfit for like an open casket and all these things, which is just like, I haven't seen these people since I was six. I haven't seen him since I was in fifth grade. Um, and so I go for like two weeks over there. I bring my best friend with me because I feel like she's the best fit for me to have a support um, when I go out there. Um, and so, yeah, we go up there and we do that. And that was just wild. And um, one thing I will say, which is like super, it's super heavy, um, but I think it's important because this has really shown me the power of our minds. So my dad has been keeping a journal since like before I was born. Like I literally found the journal where it's like the day I'm born and he's writing in there, which is so cool. Um, and so I'm packing stuff up. My uncle's there, by the way, my, my dad has five brothers and one sister, the five brothers, they couldn't look more alike. They're like the Australian handsome brothers, um, but like Sicilian, um, which is like such a weird thing to say, but I'm going to go with it. They all look super alike. So it's like every time I look at one of them, I think I see my dad mm -hmm. and I'm actually named after one of my uncles. His name is Ashley. He's the youngest brother. Um, and there, Ashley is more of a boy's name here. Ashley was more of a girl's name. So yeah. So especially seeing him, he, they just look identical. So it was just like trippy. Um, and so anyways, I'm looking through these journals and as I find this box of them and I'm starting to go through my uncle stops and he's like, Hey, I want you to know that everything in this house is absolutely like open and belongs to you. And I want you to know that those journals, I looked through them earlier and they're not easy to like digest, but I'm not going to ever stop you from like, you know, learning more and more about your dad and all that. And so I'm like, okay, great. And of course now more than ever, I'm going to look through these journals. So I start looking and I look towards the day that he, I get to the day that he passed away the day before on October 2nd in there, he's literally drawn a grim reaper and it says, come get me. And I will never forget that. And I talked to my uncle and I looked at him like, how the hell did I not know he was in this state? And mm -hmm. um, he said he was just in so much pain, back pain that like, he was just like miserable. And he said, on top of that, like 
his his one and only love in his life like couldn't be with him and that's me he I had a whole room that he had like had my little like motorcycle jacket from when I was six and like he made chaps for me to wear like rare wear for real not like pride weekend in San Francisco chaps but like legit chaps for a motorcycle um he had like a whole room set up for me to like go and live with him he's just waiting for me to be there so uh yeah it was uh, to me like like I said, it's super heavy and it's super like, why do things like that happen? And it really spiraled me into just like looking so much deeper into life and maybe like purpose of life or why things like this happen. Um, because it's like the only place your mind can go. And in those moments, I really see there's two places to go. It's either like self-destruct or like rise above and see in Mm -hmm. which ways this makes you stronger and stronger. And what is the lesson lesson on the other side of this? Um, and yeah, and I've really sat with that like so many nights, especially after that. But um, it's it's crazy. Go ahead. While I was listening to your story, I was thinking about the fact that you did all of this at such a young age too, where yeah. a lot of kids don't know how to process that, and they do, they do go into self destruct mode because they don't know anything totally. else. Like yeah. to have your dad go to prison in when you're yeah. in fifth grade. Oh yeah. Or for you to make that decision in high school that he should be deported and kind of like yeah. let him go, like. That's yeah. So crazy to me. Yeah. Totally. And I was going to ask you, like, what do you think was the thing that had you not go and self destruct, but actually like rise above, but not just rise above, because like I want to ask you about this next, but like you actually then like specifically took actions in your life to be yeah. part of like the change yep. when it right, comes right. to like the career you chose and the different organizations you work with. And then even, you know, to like present day. But like, so what do you think it was like? Yeah. I mean, I know you had skateboarding, so like, right, yeah. That, but yeah, I would say first and foremost, and I think this is a common thing that I've had people like really close to them pass away. But thinking about like, what would that person want? Would they want me to go and self destruct? And like, that's not who he raised me to be. And like, my mom didn't raise me to be that way. My older sisters are like some of the strongest women I ever saw, like in in early years of my life. And my environment just told like everything around me was like, no, like rise above this. Like you are, you are worthy and you deserve it. And it's not easy. And like, yeah, self-destruct is like, it's almost not an option is what I saw. Um, but again, my, I'd say my dad was like a huge source of it and just thinking like all the work he put into parenting and how transparent he was about transparent, uh, or as, transparent about parenting everything from like being grounded or if I did something wrong he's like what would you do what do you think I should do like his it was just a beautiful example of parenting in my opinion and uh yeah just who he was in the world for people um and yeah to self-destruct just seemed like like it would just be a waste um and it was like a way to live his legacy on and so on top of that I was just gonna say that yeah. And on and, and top of that, to speak to like kind of how it like sort of um, created a trajectory for me in my future. Like I remember at a young age, like I was because I was being mostly raised by my mom during all this because like my dad didn't have a lot of resources. Um, so I was in a lot of like aftercare camps and like day camps and like after school things and stuff like that. So um, I always like was around kids that were like more latchkey kids or kids that didn't always have a lot of time with their parents or like um, didn't have their parents around as much as maybe like would have been nice or whatever it is. And so I remember seeing counselors that oversaw us and, 
you know, I would, I would like cause trouble, like nothing serious, but like, uh, I remember them being like, cause I grew up in those spaces. And so I remember some of them seeing me grow up and they're like, you watch, you're going to be a counselor yourself. And I was like, no way. They're like, you're gonna be like a teacher or something. I'm like, no way. Absolutely not. This blows like, blah, you know, like didn't want to be there kind of thing. Um, but I, I really got from a young age, like how important it is for young people to have caring people, mentors, like older sibling type folks, and then like, like caring adults. Um, and so, and like a community, not just like one person. So like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I am hearing. And like, just your experience is like a, like your dad was so effective as a parent and a mentor that he instilled everything that he wanted, um, you know, into you and you as a result, even though he was gone, you were able to like, it was so effective and like just in you, like who you were that you were able to like move forward and like, you know, carry on his legacy, but also sort of embody him. Like, that's like what I'm hearing. Right. Yeah. And then that combined with like, even though like for many people, like your parents are the most important people in your life, but even though one of your parents, you know, passed away and wasn't existent in your life, um, that because you had a community of caring people, whether it was your sisters, you know, your mom, these different programs, like other, you know, maybe even like friends or other people that, you know, maybe skated with, like, I don't know. Right. But like that, that not only allowed you to continue on, um, and not just survive, but like thrive because that's now like the role you're playing for like people in, in our community and young people, especially. So like that to me is just like the power of like community, but also the power of like, you know, like authentic relationships. Cause like oftentimes I think kids and adults, kids and parents like don't have authentic relationships. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, I'm not a parent, but like, I'm guessing that comes from like, yeah, like trying to be a good parent or trying to like, you know, put on this like, facade that like you know what you're doing when I think like most people yeah. don't you know because like yeah. no there's no book um but just the fact that your dad was so transparent and like totally uh, would share things with you that maybe other parents wouldn't share I think that's like like so valuable as a takeaway yeah um, totally and he really helped me understand like my like gender and gender expression because like I said mm-hmm. like he was this like gnarly looking motorcycle dude but he'd wear like short shorts because in Australia that's what he grew up wearing he also taught me to like cook a lot it like so it really like mis mismatched sort of like my understanding stereotypical exactly gender like gender roles, roles yeah. stuff like that um and he like because I looked like like such a boy growing up and I'd get asked like are you a boy or a girl like all the time and it became so triggering or just like other abusive language that uh he was always there sort of like reminding me like that it doesn't matter like what you wear or what's even in your pants but it's really about what's in your heart and I just like always remember him saying stuff and just different things that were like empowering um we're talking about like riding a motorcycle like he's like you know he he never said like oh you can't ride on the back of one but he was always like yeah and you'll be driving it you know um to sort of reinforce like just the power that I could really have and like I can really just do whatever I loved kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I think also my sort of interaction with the justice system or the not so justice system is what it really is. Right. Um, Had me jump into really making a difference for young people and families that are affected by incarceration. Yeah. Um, Can you share just a little bit about like the different other jobs you've had? Um, Obviously, you know, like you're the director, one of the directors of skate like a girl in the Bay, but like, the path that led you 
you know, after like your dad passed. So you're in college and then just having this understanding and then like choosing these next steps that literally like formed, you know, who you are today and like the impact that you make, you know, for others now. Yeah, totally. And one thing I do want to say that I just remembered is like, I wasn't perfect when it came to like not self-destructing. I was in college. Like there's nights where I drink my face off in like, you know what I mean? Or there was definitely ways where like destructiveness came up. Um, so I just want to put that in. It wasn't like, I was like, like (laughs) perfect. Like, you know what I mean? Um, it really took some stumbling and some falling and, you know, Yeah. yeah. And finding people that I could like really be like vulnerable with. Um, yeah. But anyway, so some of the things that I did like through school, like I said, is I really, I originally went to UC Santa Cruz, um, trying to study marine biology and education. There was always a bit about education because as soon as I got to college, I really realized like there was so much information that we should be learning at a younger age, conversations that should be starting sooner, like race, for instance, all of us, um, or just even the history of, class, race, sex in this country. Um, and I had to pay like this massive bill to go and learn about all that. Um, so I just was fired up about education and our education system. So I ended up actually coming across um, a unique program that they have called community studies. And it has you do um, an internship during the course of your uh, academic career, if you will. And um, I knew that in there, they have you f- like create a focus. And that's where I really realized I wanted to do something with youth because I just think there's so many conversations that need to start early. Um, and for me, what was, what I wanted to really, um, like do is something that really connected me. There was a lot of people in that program that were white folks that were just trying to save communities that they had no connection to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and that program really problematized like that sort of mentality is sort of a white, white mentality going to save communities. Oh, of white color. savior. Exactly. So that's like the term. Yeah, exactly. So really trying to figure out like, what is it that I have experience in that I'm connected to that I can offer my experience and um, really be a contribution to folks affected by similar systems um, or oppression. So I went down um, and I realized I really wanted to work with young people affected by incarceration. And that had me like all over the place. Um, I did a lot of different youth empowerment in general. I've worked for like nonprofits that were working on media uh, literacy for young people. So knowing how to think critically about media around you um, and how we're digesting it and how we internalize it. Um, And then I've also worked for an organization, cultural centers that were doing like guerrilla theater, um, which has you really take, you know, um, issues that are important to you, but have you act out experiences from your life and then pausing Mm -hmm. and everybody kind of having an input on how could this go differently. So it's sort of a political education in there. Um, Guerrilla theater has like has a long history in the labor movement and like field workers specifically like figuring out ways to combat um, a lack of labor rights or like injustice in labor uh, in the labor movement. Um, so things like that. There was also a graffiti arts program. Um, and then tons of folks, unfortunately, in East Oakland affected by incarceration. So different ways that mentorship looked in all those spaces. Um, uh, two other projects that I worked on, one was critical resistance and then um, the storytelling and organizing project. And those are like near and dear to my heart. Um, critical those resistance. Those are based was- in Oakland? 
based Oakland, on the bank? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Critical Resistance is an organization that is really about abolishing the prison industrial complex. And um, what that means in short is that our prison system, our justice system is not just at all. It's actually working exactly how it's meant to. And it's a business. Um, mm-hmm. And that when people get incarcerated, when people get locked up, they actually lose um, their rights as citizens. And that is the only way that you can exploit people for their labor. So um, enslaving people that are incarcerated and using their labor for cheap labor. So then they get um, outsourced to private companies um, like AT&T and uh, Victoria's Secret and Target. And they do a bunch of labor for them while locked up and get nothing for it pretty much. Um, And so it's working exactly in that way where you want to have like an exploitable working class. Side note really quick, if you like, if this is like not like, if this is like foreign to you, definitely recommend watching the documentary 13th uh, by Ava DuVernay, which is on Netflix and it's on YouTube for free right now. Um, It literally like lays it all out in a very, you know, all the facts and history, but continue. Yeah, really. No, it really breaks (laughs) Um, it down. Um, I do have a question for you, but I want yeah, you go f- no, go for it. Oh, my question is like, okay, so then given all that and also what's happening right now, like what is your ideal um, scenario or like ideal outcome for people like society's relationship to not just like the police, but like the whole idea of like incarceration and also, you know, the system of prisons and policing and prisons, like, what what does it look what like? would you wish that people like say someone has no experience with police or jail or you know like the prison system in general and they grew up um just thinking oh like they're doing what they're supposed to do like that's the society we live in there's right. like bad people and they need to be punished and whatever like what would you say your message would be like what's your wish for like american society to yeah. have in terms of like an understanding or viewpoint around how we relate to, you know, like policing, Police, and policing, the, 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 the whole system of totally. like, you're bad and you need to be punished. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, there's a lot there. I mean, first and foremost, um, I think, and this is something like I had a conversation with my mom about and um, folks that just don't have to think about um, their interaction with the police a lot or don't have to fear for their lives when it comes to police. But just the mere fact of like, when I I feel like it's probably pretty safe to say that anytime anyone is driving or walking or there's a cop nearby, like you have a body reaction of like, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing anything? And if not, like that's something to recognize because I'd say the majority of America has that interaction. Um, and probably beyond America. But so here's the thing is remembering like, and this is things that we talk about with our young people in spaces and like kind of knowing our rights. Law is written in a way for people to not understand so that they can loophole us and Mm -hmm. actually be a bridge between folks in the street and folks locked up. And police are those middle people um, that have a say in who's getting locked up. Um, So for some of the couple like key things there is knowing that this country for every 10 prisons we've built one university so just looking at like our priority and like where we're spending our money and like are we prioritizing like healthy and like opportunity health and opportunity for folks um And then also inside of that, thinking about the demographic of this country. And like, yes, we can say it's predominantly still white and Latino is rising, right? Latino population. And then from there, like we get more and more marginalized communities, lower percentages of it. And we want to talk about 
majority of folks locked up are black and brown people. And so why is that? Why are certain bodies being policed more than others? Right. And so when we talk about that and the media's role inside of all that as well, and how um, the history of redlining, which is redlining how neighborhoods are broken up by what communities and how property tax gets given to certain schools um, is all it's um, there's layers to it. Right. So going back to the specific question of like, what would it look like um, if I could have a perfect world or what my opinion is? Um, I think the first and foremost, when we think about justice. So if people commit a crime, when we take them out of their community and we place them in a cage, how is that healing anybody or addressing the issue at hand, right? First and foremost. Um, now on top of that, thinking about now when people hear that, a lot of reaction is like, so do we just let out all the rapists and murderers? No. What we need to think about is what does care look like for our folks in our communities. And to me, what that looks like is actually keeping folks in their communities. Now, talking about murders and rapists is separate because that's often like connected to mental health. And we, and most people know trauma goes and causes more trauma. So if we actually put in money into healing people properly and really showing up for our community members, then that would prevent a lot of that. And on top of that, folks that are incarcerated, about 85% of them have done nonviolent offenses. Yeah. And about 85% of them are drug related. And that can get into talking about the drug on wars or the war on drugs, excuse me. Um, and talking about, you know, um, how it's no coincidence that we, that there's informal economies like selling drugs, like my dad had to do, but then also harder things that really mess with people's mental health. Um, and even the mere fact of like, you look at um, cocaine and you look at crack and the sort of penalties for one or the other. And because crack, so it's like uh, a race and class issue here, right? And so we talk about how crack, you can actually get in a lot more trouble, a lot more easily for the same amount of cocaine. Yeah. Who's, who's use, who are the majority users of cocaine? White community white yeah. men and crack how there was like an intentional community. decision by the government the leadership like yeah. around that because of race and like yeah. how they literally had they had someone at some point had to make the decision of like how are we going to punish crack users how are we going to punish cocaine users exactly. and literally someone was like well they chose right and it wasn't accidental so like yeah that's something to recognize but um well, also too, what I'm hearing and I heard recently is like people focus so much on the symptoms and not the problem. So like exactly. people are like, oh my God, what about the murderers and rapists and whatever? But it's like, that's not the, fo the focus should be on like, well, why are they murdering? Like, yeah. why are mm -hmm. they raping? Right. Yeah. And I just thought about like in your own story, like that kid who was the bully was getting, you know, exactly like abused by his dad so that's yeah. like a perfect example of like we know the patterns of like humans mm -hmm. and so how what are we doing to like transform those patterns especially at a young age because like when you're young you can turn things around you can rewire your brain like to like take on a different habit or um like train yourself to maybe not react but instead like i don't know like move logically right because your brain is literally being developed um and so like why like what i'm hearing is like instead of focusing on you know um dealing with the symptoms when they show up actually going to the source and this actually reminds me of the, what we talked about with jess Wu and like 
you know, the idea of like Eastern medicine versus Western medicine, where you're tending to everything in the foundation versus like when something shows up, you're trying to fix it. And like, that's kind of what I think about when I'm thinking about like policing and like the way the system has been designed, like in our society. So yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really interesting too. Cause I was reading, um, something about how sometimes in communities that, um, like the government or the police have determined have more like at risk youth, they police them more yeah. like at a younger age and then yep. they end up committing yeah. more crimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, on top. So, so that- yeah, no, that's so good, Zadie. I have so many things like to share around that. I mean, we talk about having police in schools and yeah. predominantly the like where you look at where there's police in schools, it's predominantly schools of color with youth of color, right? And so when you start having things like metal detectors and police, your young people internalize that. You start treating them like criminals, they start internalizing, considering like, wow, I guess this is my only way of being is to be a criminal. Right. And so on top of that, the way that things get handled in those schools that pushes young people out to the streets and then they stop showing up to school. And then guess who's patrolling streets? Police. And so with that, like something in East Oakland that happened a while ago, there was a curfew put on black and brown, the black and brown community there. And then it was okaying the actual profiling of black and brown men walking down the street because it was like they could profile as gang related if they're in groups of two or more. And then that's an easy way to like swoop people up and then get them in the system. And then um, statistics have shown is like once people are incarcerated once, recidivism, which is the rate at which they go back in, like totally sets you up to like, you're like, I don't want want to throw a random number up there, but you are, your likelihood of going back in there is way greater. And on top of that, we talk about like parole and the way that people, like it just puts you into the system that it's so much harder to get out the more and more you're interacting with it. So um, with that, the other thing I wanted to share about really quick is like, so there's police who police the neighborhoods, but what happens is the way that media plays roles and the way that we get taught that Mm. police play roles in our communities people and members of society start policing each other. And we've seen a lot of that take place. And like people in communities learning to uh, criminalize or fear black people specifically. And then we've seen people's lives taken because of shit like that. Mm -hmm. So we need to also think about how we police each other Um, and policing each other can look a million different ways. Um, But I think also the thing is to think about police are Police and law is written in a way to protect very specific communities against very specific communities. So inside of that, really thinking about like, how do we reduce harm in our communities when there is an incident? And for me, I am an advocate of not relying on state agencies, not relying on police, not relying on child protective services. And I know that's, um, that can be seen as more of a radical form, but inside of that, it's really important to understand that like when you bring police into communities and very specific communities, communities of color, uh, black communities, they often exacerbate the issue. So it's really important to recognize that. And then the next question that usually comes is like, well, what what do we do then? And something I highly recommend if it's something that you're committed to and figuring out ways that we can rely on each other um, for accountability and harm reduction is to check out uh, the storytelling and organizing project. And it was a project that I internship for for a little bit when I first moved to Oakland. And they collect stories around people intervening in harm and violence um, without relying on state agencies like police or child protective mm-hmm. services. Um, because then, for instance, like child protective services often causes potentially more harm on that child later down the road when they run into that adult again or whoever was causing harm or the reason why. And then, 
even child protective services, putting those young people in foster care system. And that's a whole another conversation, but um, it's really cool because it had people just trying things out and having to really band together with their, whether it's with their family or their friends and showing up for each other. So if they have somebody that's causing harm in their family, they all get together and they really figure out from like mm-hmm. a place of love, how to take care of this person and like, um, separate and intervene like where the violence is happening and coming up with these ideas so not all our successes and um, not all our failures but it's important to see like and document like what people are trying to do to really take care of each other um, so yeah. yeah like well something that I think about is like there's a saying like whatever you resist persists so like right if we're resisting like crime and we're like, Oh my God, it needs to be safe. And like, oh, da, da, da. like we're resist, like we have this already, like already always listening of like the world is unsafe and humans are bad. Then we're resisting like humans being good. And therefore yeah. like that's persisting. So same thing, Sadie, what you're saying is like, yeah, if you put more cops, there's going to be more crimes. Right. Exactly. And so like, I think there's that right. And like, looking at not resisting like this idea that like communities can thrive and like um you know like like situations that are confronting or conflicting can actually be resolved peacefully if you have if you come from a place of like listening and love or if you have professionals that are trained to bring love and listening and not bring violence literally right like i've heard examples of like what does it look like to have like someone who's like a trained like conflict resolution like maybe counseling therapy whatever it is into situations of like domestic violence or something right yep, yep. um versus like someone who has a gun that's coming there and literally is like prepared to use violence in a situation that maybe already started from violence which is why like the neighbors called the cops or whatever right yeah so like i definitely hear that and then i also hear this idea of like um you know, we as humans, like we get created in other people's listening, right? And so what yeah. I mean by that is like young people, right? Like you're still trying to figure out who you are, like especially when you're in high school, again, your brain is developing, like you become what other people around you listen to you as. Yeah. So if you walk into school and there's, you know, a bunch of cops and you know metal detectors and you're being listened to as like a problem or a criminal waiting to mess up so we can like put you in juvenile hall then that's like literally how you start to like listen to yourself right totally. whereas the opposite where we've seen even in like teaching skateboarding it's like when you listen to people as you know they can do it or leaders or never stepped on a skateboard but like you got this. Like, that's a common term we say in skateboarding. It's like, dude, you got mm-hmm. this. Even if you're like, I've never seen you do this. Like, I don't know, <laughs> but I believe you can do it. Then yeah. that person gets to like show up as someone who can do it. So I think same thing with schools. It's like listening to youth as like powerful, like human beings who sure we're going to make mistakes as kids. Like we all made mistakes. That's like what it means to be like a child or a teenager exactly. is to like learn from your mistakes, but not to get locked away and never have a chance to learn from your mistakes is you're not able to learn anything. If you're locked away, like you can't, you're no longer like you just, your chance to be a contributing citizen um, in your neighborhood is literally like taken away from you. So those are just like some things that I think about, like, as we talk, we talk about all this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
And the other I thing, about, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just thinking about how much your dad kind of like let you talk and listen to you and also like respected you enough to be transparent with you. And so now you're able to do that for other people. Totally. You know, and learning that as a youth is like so powerful. Yeah, and then yeah. you guys get to kind of contribute that to people who are going through get like girl programs. And so like, it's like contagious, like the more the more youth we get to listen to, the more they want to listen to the generations that come after that. And then that's where we get more learning and more unpacking and more just education as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. There is one more thing I just wanted to share about like policing and sort of the what it means to like demilitarize the police and even Oakland specifically, like all of them have been served in um in the military specifically and like uh they call opd little iraq because majority of police officers have served in iraq and Mm -hmm. so that they really make sure that they have these police officers that are like seeing um seeing the community as a war zone before like they go into it and then i had kind of a cool thing that i was talking to my nephew at um this protest that we went to last week and what he said and so i kind of just wanted to share that because he was like well what if police uh police their own neighborhoods and i was like there we go that's an option but uh yeah i don't know how important that is but the demilitarize i kind of wanted to share that a little bit i don't know uh if how important that is Mm. Yeah. i haven't heard that one actually though so that's you have it yeah yeah like and that's why they make jokes of like some of the police they they like come out in crazy riot gear and mm. like have all this they literally have all these weapons that they use abroad in like quote-unquote war zones which yeah. is a, again a whole nother conversation yeah um and like in like peaceful protest and things yeah. like that so because yeah. isn't the use of tear gas actually like a weapon of war or something yeah 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 that's like well it's like two things one okay what does that say about our country if the police are treating its own citizens the way that you might treat someone in a situation of war and then also what does that say about our country our country's relationship to other people in other countries like exactly it just boils down to like again the listening of humanity like yeah are you in a place of like defense and needing to protect and like it's Mm -hmm. everything's coming from like this mentality of scarcity um or are you able to like transform the default because fear is such a we talk about this all the time like fear especially in skateboarding like fear is such a automatic like visceral feeling that we have no control over oftentimes like used right to control people and like humans have evolved enough to understand how to like control others right and it's like fear is always a thing that's used like even with news like you watch the news and it's like very clear like especially if you have a background in media literacy or like (laughs) produced content like it's very easy to like invoke emotions in people so Yeah. yeah i just think about how like man it's just like fuck like that i wish Like my wish would be like, if people like you could have your fear initially, because like, again, we're humans, like we're designed to need like going back to like the, the breakdown of like how a human body, how a human mind works, like fear is necessary for survival. Like back in the day, if I see a dinosaur running at me, I should be scared and run. Exactly. Right. But I also think that nowadays, like we have evolved to use fear in a way that is totally different from you know, like when humans were first, like, you know, walking the earth or whatever. Yep. 
like it's not about survival. Like we think we see someone and we should be scared of them because they're going to kill us. Yep. But like, that's very different than like, oh, there's a fire coming. We should run. Like that's, yeah. I'm, I'm scared. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. just this idea of like people being scared of each other, you know, it's yep. like that got invented over time. Yeah. And I don't think like babies like aren't scared of any, like you could give a baby to any stranger that's not their parents and they're not going to be scared like or they'll be with their parents and they'll cry so it's like i just think that's something that we learn and like society teaches us to like not teaches but like things happen and sometimes people like get stuck in the fear like they can't move past you know that emotion so i think that's that's why also skateboarding is amazing because you literally learn to like overcome your fear in a very like visceral like physical way. Yeah. I really appreciate you uh, bringing that point around like fear. What it has me think about is like fear of each other and like the concept of policing and how actually we live in systems that actually have us maintain the systems interpersonally. And what I mean is like how we police one another and then also how we internalize these systems. So I'm curious, like if like you all want to share any of your experience and either like how you've internalized oppression, specifically like the effects of white supremacy. Um, yeah. What comes to mind when you all think about that? Yeah. I think for me this past month and everything that's been happening, you know, in the world is really been, a an, a valuable opportunity to like almost take a step back and look at, the systems in place and the systems that like I live in and that we all live in that I think oftentimes we're going through daily life and we're not really aware, you know, it's like zooming out and realizing and taking the time to listen and learn. Um, And for me, I think what is showing up is, yeah, just this idea of like white supremacy and how that used to me, that used to just mean like, oh, the KKK, that's like so far removed from like the world we live in, right? We're like in the Bay Area, we're in California, and I'm like, I don't know anyone or I've never seen someone that's a member of the KKK or whatever. But then just learning more about this idea of white supremacy and how it is a system and how, yeah, just the idea of racism. It's not like one person to one person. It's a structure in place that's meant to keep, you know, groups of people down. And um, just understanding my personal relationship to that, I think even like why I'm doing what I'm doing today, like the role that I play in, you know, the skateboarding community and the skateboarding industry or the action sports industry, um, realizing like looking back um, and understanding my relationship to you know, uh, both white folks and black folks. And specifically because I'm Asian American, I'm not black or, and I'm not white. So like, where do I fall in that system? Right. And I just remember growing up, like, um, where I went to elementary school, it was pretty diverse. And then we moved for like better schooling. Right. And in my high school, there were really were not a lot of, you know, uh, African-American students and there were more in my elementary school. Right. So this idea of like, yeah, redlining in neighborhoods and things like that and being able to own property, um, really played out, you know, and it wasn't, I wasn't aware necessarily. Um, and I also think like this idea of other folks of color sort of like not erasing, but minimizing, you know, uh, the experience of being black because it's like, oh, we're so diverse. We have like Chinese kids. We have Indian kids. You know, we have this, that, 
like non-whites. Um, but yeah, just realizing like, I think growing up, like I definitely had this desire to like, as every kid I'm guessing, like be accepted, be like cool, be like high up on the social hierarchy because yeah, no one wants to get bullied. No one wants to get made fun of. Um, and for me that actually kind of materialized in, um, now sort of like positioning myself in cultures that were like cooler and more accepted or higher on the social hierarchy. And looking back, that totally was like action sports culture for me, you know, like surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, all these things. At the time, what I saw in media, it was like Blue Crush came out in high school and like Roxy was blowing up and all the magazines. It was like surfer girl, like long blonde hair, tan. Like, I remember literally, like, wishing that I was white and, like, dyeing my hair blonde, and I still have, you know, a little bit of blonde, uh, wearing the brands to, like, be associated with the culture, um, and at the same time, like, distancing myself from, like, my heritage or my roots or, like, my motherland, and there were a lot of immigrants in, in you know, growing up in Silicon Valley, um, and not wanting to be associated with like newer immigrants, right? Like I'm first generation, like my parents are immigrants, but there were students at my school that were like actual immigrants and just not wanting to be associated with that because it was uncool. Maybe like they didn't speak perfect English. Um, and so, yeah, like literally like my relationship to the culture that we're in now is stems from like me being part of the system of like white is cool and good also, like, that's what I saw on TV. That's what I saw in the magazines. Like, the representation was really different back then. We didn't have YouTube, right? We didn't have self-publishing tools. So everything that I saw was, like, white and blonde and cool in my eyes. And that's what I, like, aspired to be. And that's literally what led me to, like, going to school in San Diego and, like, getting an internship in the action sports industry, um, wanting to do, like, do things like surf and, you know, skate. Um, and the cool thing now though, is that looking back, like I do see how skateboarding out of all the different, you know, activities in action sports culture is truly like the tool for building the world that we want to see because of its access, like snowboarding and surfing has a lot of barriers to entry and access, um, that are socioeconomical. And so with skateboarding, it's like, I, I think I ultimately, like stayed and, and went farther within skateboarding because I knew like over time I started seeing more and more people like me and not just that, but like different people. Whereas in snowboarding and surfing and some of these other action sports, even like motocross or wakeboarding or whatever, um, it's still pretty, you know, homogenous in terms of identity. Um, so I think I just naturally felt, you know, this like, being at home in skateboarding, even though I'm like a better snowboarder um, than I am a skateboarder. Um, I think I ultimately like just the community was more important and having people that looks like me or me not being the only one, right? That was like such a common thing in the action sports industry when I worked, you know, and lived in San Diego and Orange County. It was just like oftentimes being not just like the only woman, but then the only Asian person, you know, um, at the table or whatever. So yeah, it's just super interesting. I think um, understanding my role in the system, and I think that's something that I'm looking at. You know, given all that's happening, and I think um, if we all can like take a step back and understand our role in the system, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of value to that. You know, um, 
and then letting go of like whatever shame and guilt. Cause then I had this like realization of like, Oh my God, like I was like judging and discriminating against my own, you know, people from my own motherland country. Um, and it all came from this idea of wanting to be accepted and wanting to, um, not be less than right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think understanding that was really powerful i didn't get that until i was older and then when skateboarding and snowboarding started really having like more of a global community at least people were connected more i know that they've always existed in different regions but because of the internet the connection like i remember going out to japan and taiwan for the first time and meeting like girls who skated out there and like my mind was blown i was like oh my god and even now with like Aori and some of the skaters I'm just like oh my god like if you were on tv when I was a kid that would have changed my perception of myself completely and I think even x games had a recent um podium where it was like first second and third was like all asian girls I don't know I think I don't know if it was japan or Mm -hmm. china but I was just like oh my god like everyone on the podium is of like you know asian ethnicity um and I was like that was not the case when I was growing up so (laughs) Anyways, yeah, I don't know if, uh, Sadie, you have any similar experiences or not. Yes, I definitely do. Um, It's kind of funny while I was listening to you, I was thinking about, um, because I didn't grow up in action sports, but I did grow up in like a predominantly white community. And um, and then I moved to Oregon, which is also a predominantly white community. And um, I joined the action sports club and I thought it was like so cool but there was only one other girl of color. And then my friend showed me mafia. And suddenly I had this like awesome, like badass woman of color who was like contributing to the exact industry. I wanted so par- so hard to be a part of that when I was in a position to be able to chat with you, I like showed up alone to this panel <laughs> just so I could talk with you. Cause I was like, Whoa. And then through that, I feel like, you know, like watching you kind of lead in this community and feeling empowered to provide that or be that for a future generation, I think has really pushed me in finding like my own voice too, which I think is really cool. Um, But I definitely like in the last month, I've had to grip with a lot of a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for being passive or for being you know, ashamed uh, of my of my heritage or my culture and kind of like trying to take that back and then find a way to contribute more and use the space that I have. Yeah. But I can relate to that totally. There's like this weird experience of like, because we're not white and we're not black, we're not the oppressor or the oppressed, but then mm-hmm. it's like some people choose to be silent. Many people choose to be silent because you're like, oh, it's like, where do I fit in there? Yeah. And that is also part of the problem, right? Yeah, like you. the silence or the like, ooh, I don't know, you know? Um, and I think that's the opportunity right now that we're all in, regardless of who you are, is to like speak up and it's, you don't have to have like some massive platform, you know, like you speaking up can look like talking to your aunt or your friend or your coworker or whatever it is, or your friends and just sharing experiences. Cause I think the opportunity to understand each other's experiences and connecting regardless of your race or gender is really what will bring like more together and connection mm-hmm. 
for the world, which is what's needed right now, you know, versus like disagreement, no communication and like misunderstandings perpetuated. Yeah. It's interesting too, because like the small changes or the small things you do, you have no idea like their ripple effect. Like I had made a post on Instagram where I was like, hey, I have been quiet for too long. Like I'm looking to find my voice. And one of my followers shared it with her friend and she commented on it. I had no idea who this girl was. She was like, hey, I feel this exact same way about growing up as an Asian American. Like I love this post. Like thank you for writing this. And I was like, whoa. Hmm. And so I think it's really cool the opportunity to, you know, change in small ways but have that ripple out. Yeah. Um, which leads me to a question for both of you, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so based, like, from both of your experiences with, you know, race, injustice, inequality, how do you think, because you guys are both co-directors of Skate Like a Girl, um, how do you think that's affected the way you want to lead or the community you want to foster and create mm-hmm. for um, Skate Like a Girl? You want to go first, Ash? Or you yeah, to totally. Okay. I'll go. I'll go first. Um, that's such a great question. I love that, Sadie. Um, I mean, first and foremost, what pops in my head is community and belonging, and I think really creating a space um, that like authentically allows people to share um, something like skateboarding, which to me is self-expression because there are no rules, um, and um, because of its accessibility and because of its sort of it being just an expression, there's so much, uh, there's so much room to explore who you are and who you want to be. And inside of that, when you can come together with people and create a space that I'm pretty sure everybody wants, which is like no judgment to be like authentically seen, heard, validated, um, feel like you belong to something bigger than you, like feel connection, um, is so powerful. And I think, uh, it's really important for especially our younger audience to get that at an early age, early age um, and not just rely on like their family uh, structures because um, family can look a lot of different ways and not everybody has your traditional family. Um, so I think having that and creating that and when you introduce people to a space like that, we get to see exactly what Kim just spoke to earlier is you get to really see skaters show up as so many different possibilities and like how either they present themselves to the world, who they are as people. And then like also um, like what people want to create. And I feel like skating has really allowed people to explore who they are, but also to like, if we don't see something um, that we want in this world, uh, then we created ourselves in sort of a DIY culture. Um, I also think about like representation and doing it authentically because I've worked in a lot of nonprofit spaces um, and there's always the conversation of like, who is the demographic? Who is the audience you're working with? And I've worked in a lot of youth spaces. I've worked with a lot of, uh, in a lot of spaces that are, are, whose audience and our serving mission is for like urban youth. So like youth of color. And I've worked in some super problematic spaces. Um, And it was, and I think it's part of the nonprofit, like industrial complex, which is just how you problematize nonprofits and how, all the sort of inner workings and how they function, but um, how we tokenize people of color in those spaces. And I just feel like Scale Like a Girl has become such an authentic place for us to do that. And um, we're looking, I think, 
with what's going on around George Floyd's death and Black Lives Matter right now in this very moment, like we're really getting to authentically recenter the conversation as a social justice organization um, and and uh, admitting that we've been focusing a lot on gender and we really want to, we are an organization that claims to be a social justice organization. So we really want to bring in the intersectionality of like class of gender, of sexuality, as well as race. So this is a perfect time for us to do exactly what you kind of did, um, Sadie, where you really stepped up and you were like, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but like, I'm here to like find my voice inside of all this and how I'm positioned in this world with the identities that I have. And like, I see there's something to do and I might not know exactly what to do. Um, and I think Skate Like a Girl, like that's the, it was rooted in like the folks that founded Skate Like a Girl or started Skate Like a Girl, they didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or how to do it right. Um, they just, there was a missing and they wanted to fill that gap. So I think we're at a point in time where we see that there's a missing in the work that we do. And we don't have, we don't have a lot of black representation in the work that we do, whether it's in our participants or in our leadership and our staff. Um, and we're having an internal conversation and really approaching it in an authentic way and figuring out why that is. Um, so yeah, I'm just like so grateful to be in an organization where we've created a culture of accountability and we can call ourselves out and we're committed to what we say we're committed to. So not like jumping on the forefront and posting just a black square because that's what everyone's doing, but like taking the time to really have some intention and really getting how connected the like the personal, the political and like the professional and really, you know, um, really um, practicing what we preach. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if Kim, if you have something that, if you want to add to that. I think for me, just like finding skate, like, so I had worked in the skateboarding industry for, you know, well, it'd been like almost a decade at that point. Um, but finding skate, like a girl was like, just so like amazing and miraculous because looking back, I realized, so my first job out of college was in the skateboarding industry and it was at a footwear company, um, at Asire Shoes. And, you know, I was plugged into the system, like the system of like the action sports industry. Right. And so a being young in like my first job, um, kind of had me be like, Oh, I don't know. I just like, I'm here to learn. You teach me. So like I inherited a lot of the ways and the cult like the way the culture was back then and still is in a lot of ways um because i just was like oh well you know better you know you're older you've been around like whatever and realizing that no one ever like i didn't get the chance to say like well this is you know what i think or this is what feels kind of weird um and to give them some credit i did have a lot of opportunities to do like try new things and do things but there wasn't ever like a discussion. I feel like I just inherited like the system. Right. So, and what I mean specifically by that is just like the way women were marketed. Um, and we're, this was like still focused on gender. Right. So, um, just the way women were marketed and how the people that were in leadership roles, and I'm talking about the industry as a whole and the people making decisions and the people running, whether it was an event or a brand or whatever it was, um, weren't a match for who the participant or the customer was, mm. you know, was. So I guess in more straight terms, it was like men making decisions for like a women's brand or a women's event or a, a, a female athlete, um, what she should wear or what photo we should use of her in the catalog or in the ad. Um, and I think with skate, like a girl, um, 
it's the opposite where we center the participants and a lot of our staff has come through as like being a participant, then a volunteer, then a staff member, then a lead staff member, then a director, then an executive director. Like that's literally like Kristen's path or ED. And so that just is like radical in itself. Cause how often do you have, you know, industries or cultures where the people leading are, you know, the same as the participants. And I think that to me, like defines Gate Like a Girl and like why I'm so happy to like be a part of this organization um, and continuing to make sure that is in place, right? So asking the, the, the participant, what do you want to see? Like, what would you do? Versus like, oh, you know, following this like standard power hierarchy where it's like, well, we know best because we're older and like we've been doing this mm-hmm. longer. Um, and I'm proud to say that out of our direct, we have six directors, like our team, Seattle, uh, Portland and the Bay, like I'm the oldest director and I'm 35. So like being a youth led organization for youth, like skateboarding is very youth centric. Um, and it's, you know, I'm also stoked that like more adults are getting on board, but to know that like, just because I'm older than like our 23 year old director, that doesn't mean that I know better. Like, I love that. And that's hard to, to swallow, I think, for at times, sometimes for me, but I think for a lot of people in general. Um, and I think when we look at the bigger picture conversation, I think that's where a lot of people feel resigned, like younger people or generations feel resigned about the, the generation that was before them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just proud that like we get to actually, it's like a true kind of like community generated thing and the programs, you know, we, we try as best as possible to really make it like a collective experience versus just like, you know, we're here to make decisions. You just have to do what we, we say. To <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, as you're talking, it makes me think about, because my head's always in the programming side, like we even trickle that exact same culture into our programming and how we can also empower our participants, um, young and old to like, allow them to step into leadership spaces as well. And so what that might look like is some of our youth participants may lead our stretches or we ask our participants to like create a new skate trick and like teach everyone how to do it, you know? And I think there's something really powerful in that. And it's like a, a transfer of that same culture, not only internally amongst like our staff, but down into our participation. And then I think uh, that transcending into their lives and how to like interact with other people is is so radical and so awesome yeah and uh, i agree i'm proud to be at an organization that does that um for sure because i've worked in a lot that don't and not to say that they're wrong or right but uh it takes a lot to to situate yourself as an organization and contribute to communities and there's a lot of accountability and uh, willing to be humble and willing to take critique um and like we definitely uh, have that as a huge part of our culture internally and externally. So, yeah. yeah. Cause you, and you guys talked about this a little bit, but like being able to work with youth so much, like, can you see the, like, do you have experiences where you've kind of like seen directly how it can affect, you know, the next generation? Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have two examples that come to mind. Um, I don't know if you have any, Kim, that you want to share. Go for it. Okay. Maybe they're the um, same examples. <laughs> okay. The first one um, is at one of our 
um, QT camps, our queer and trans camps. And it was what we do is we intentionally make that camp week like um, open to what we call all ages. So that's like five to, I don't know what we're saying now, 70, 70 65. Five to 70. Um, and uh, it's so cool. And we get so many folks, uh, so many more like adults that come and volunteer. And I think what's powerful is for our young people to get to see um, older people that are navigating life and identify as queer and trans and you know like you can make it to an old age and be happy and like live a like vivacious abundant life um, and then it's really cool for our older folks to know that like young people now have spaces like this and they're growing um, and I've had um, it's just been so cool because like on one of the last days we had a panel where our adult participants slash volunteers like just had a panel where the youth um, could ask anything they wanted. Um, and it was mostly a conversation centered around like identity, gender expression. And it just like was so beautiful. And like the questions they asked and just the benefit between the young people and like the fun they were having. And just I've, I, my young self was just like in awe because like mm. that was nowhere. Like you couldn't just ask questions and get to like explore yourself through others. And it was just so magical. And who folks were on Monday, our participants and who they left as on Friday, like identifying with new pronouns, like um, maybe even having nicknames that they like ask people to call them and what they were wearing. It was just, and who they were being, like the confidence they exuded and who they were night and day. And like, it's incredible. And it's moments like that that remind me like how important um, and how valuable the spaces we're creating are um, and how, how we're really trying to create a, a curriculum and programs that have folks like transcend our programming that don't need scale like a girl. We're trying to end these jobs of ours. Um, and then the last, the other example I thought of that is just like a very specific example. It uh, was awesome. It was in one of our all girls week um, camps, all girls like youth, 12 and under. And um, there was a participant that's been in our program for quite a while now um, and is awesome. And same thing, kind of night and day change as I've seen them grow through our programs and who they who they are in our space. And um, it was Monday, which is the scariest day of a camp because it's all new and um, camp like that. It's all about the relationships you build. Um, and so it's all about like peer to peer and like, who's here and are they going to accept me and do I belong? And, and I'm trying to skateboard, like, am I going to survive this? Like, it's a lot on Monday, especially yeah. for young people. So, um, I remember as like, as the director, I'm there overseeing and making sure like parents know what's going on, supporting any children and young people that are like having meltdowns because of all of that stuff I just mentioned and just supporting that transition. Um, and especially like five years old is a young age to like go into programming and leave your parents. And still sometimes like it can be scary for your parent to like leave out that door. Um, and I remember seeing this participant um, that had been in our program for a long time and they saw me talking to um, one of the girls who was brand new first day, um, probably the younger ones of the group and was totally fine. One minute I turn around and she is bawling and so scared and like shaking and like so scared oh. to be there. And I see mom looking at me like, Oh, poor thing. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, can I, I was like, do you mind if I, can I talk to you for a second? And she was like, yeah, <laughs> like really upset. And, um, was just talking to her and seeing where she was at. And then, uh, reminded her that like, if she wants to join us, like if she wants to skate, she can like just letting her know that there's 
like participation looks all different ways in our programs and like come join for our circle and you know like can I sit next to you and introduced her and then there was another participant I introduced her to and then another one was the person that I was talking about that has been in our programming and I'm trying not to use names because I want to be mindful of confidentiality um, and so I introduced this young girl to two people that have been participants and I'm like, they're awesome. And the second one I had introduced is the one that I was telling you about. And, um, the, the young, the girl calmed down a lot. And the mom was like, thank you. Like worded it to me. And I was like, just let me know. Um, and like when we start the circle, I'll come over and we'll join the circle together. And like, it was, it was helping and she was calming down a bit and breathing. And, and then the participant I had introduced to her saw how upset this young girl was. And so, um, I turn around a minute later and I see that participant consoling this new participant and like mm. going up to her and was like, Hey, I remember my first day and it was really scary. And I want you to know like you are totally welcome to sit next to me and like, you're going to have so much fun. And like, I would love to be your friend here at camp. And like the girl's face went from like sobbing wet to like bright eye, clouds opened up, sunshine, <sighs> couldn't believe that this person, this young person that like was peer to peer with her, invited her and welcomed her in that way. Mm -hmm. And that part, the coolest part is that participant had no, like didn't know anyone was watching. And, um, I saw it and it just like, I literally like, I was like, your heart fighting just, like, tears. I was fighting tears. And I was like, get it together, get it together. And um, it was just incredible. And that person like was night and day for the rest of camp. And like they were friends and hung out. And I just went up to the mom later and was like, did you see what your daughter just did? And she was like, yeah. And she was like, she would have never done that. Like she, not she would have never done that. She, she knew to do that from what you all showed like her in your space yeah yeah and so i went up to the that participant that like um like befriended her and i like let her know that i saw it and i'm just so proud of her and that she should be proud of herself and uh i just let her know what the impact was and i hope that she understood how powerful she is and how powerful she showed up for that person. She just changed the course of that young person's life in our program. And that participant was like, like just instantly grabbed me and hugged me. But um, yeah, so that is a pretty concrete example of some of what our programming and the space that we just create um, and let our young people kind of lead and step yeah. into uh, is just so powerful. I, was that one of the folks you were going to share, Kim? Um, I actually was just thinking about our staff and how uh, like some of our staff started out as participants and then volunteers and just the difference from like when they showed up to an event, not knowing anyone yeah. to be like, what is this? And then to now like the running camps, you know, yeah, that is like perfect example of when you, um, kind of instill confidence and leadership. And if leadership is part of like the structure, um, I think it's about, um, like giving the power to people and letting them, you know, like make their own choices and decisions. And I think that's also like skateboarding, right? It's like, you can't cheat. You can't have someone else skate for you. You know, you have to like figure it out on your own. But when you do, you end up really having that like inner confidence. So what are kind of some of the takeaways that you guys would want people to take away from this conversation or what actions do you think people can take? You want me to go first? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, thinking about just what we've been talking about in this episode, I think the first and foremost is like, like honor your story, know that it's valid, your experience and what your life has been like and all the things that have like 
added up to who you are now and your story, like it is valid, it is powerful and it is like worthy. Um, and then inside of that, like being open and seeing the same thing in everybody else's story and being open to that and like, um, educating yourself on stories outside of your own, um, and creating, accountability networks um or like groups like whether it's like with your friends or your family like folks that are you've intentionally created space where you can talk through and organize and share information and story and knowledge resource whatever it is i think um to me has been the funnest source of education um in terms of me growing in my ideas and, and learning things outside of my experience. Um, but I, I just want to say it like being intentional about it and making sure that like, you're not looking, you're not tokenizing people and people's experiences. Um, and like having, asking them like to do the emotional work to explain it to you. Um, because there's, that's a lot and that's like really loaded and it really pulls up people emotionally to have to like explain themselves every time or all the time. So really be intentional and ask for permission and create accountability systems. Um, maybe a book club, um, get creative, have some fun with it. Um, and then I think on top of that, like, um, you know, listening's in there. And what I mean by listening is like powerful listening. And to me, that means like getting yourself out of the way and fully putting yourself in the other person's experience and trying on what they're telling you and what they're sharing with you. Um, and like really submerging yourself in what it's been like uh, as best you can. Right. Because we, we can't physically do that. Um, but I, and I say that because there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, I'm such a good listener. And like, I've worked in nonprofits and I'm like, I want to contribute to things larger than me, but I've had so much chatter in my head of like what they're telling me and I'm not actually thinking about and being present to what they're sharing me. I'm just like letting my wheels spin about all that and getting ready to say what I want to share next or, you know, thank them for what they're sharing and like really be present with people mm-hmm. um, and what they're sharing with you. Um, and then the other thing in that is uh, being okay with being checked. Like being okay, putting your ego aside, practicing humility and being okay that like, the action that you take, it may be problematic. The action that you may take, you might say something wrong, right? And being okay to like get checked and be willing. And I think remembering that hopefully that anyone that's checking you is coming from a place of love. And if they're not like fine too, but remembering that like what is really the violent thing here is the silence. And so when people stop checking you is when you should be nervous and when you should be worried. So I just, I think really being okay with not defending yourself and being like, Oh wow, I didn't know that. Oh wow. Yeah. I have some like things to research, um, is what I see as some of the takeaways. Um, but I think the main thing I really want people to walk away from is like just starting to do something now, like with all that stuff I just shared in the background, like doing something, you know, and not letting yourself feel paralyzed or feeling like you have to know the right thing to say or the like right person to talk to. And I think just being willing and open and transparent and coming from a place of love. Um, yeah. I just feel like that's such, I always like, try to tie it back to skateboarding because that's like why we're here is like, you don't, you're not a super expert skateboarder when you first start out and you're going to get checked like that rock, you know, on the street that you didn't see or that crack that you didn't see that you literally get like body checked right when you're skateboarding. And so if you can get back up from that, right. And figure out what you did wrong and learn from that, 
know, like if you think if you hit enough rocks in your life, you'll be more aware of like, what are some areas that generally have rocks or mm-hmm. let me try to look ahead and notice these rocks. Right. Um, then that's where the growth comes from and that's where the pro- progression comes from. So I think like, you know, for people that are in our community that, that have tried skateboarding or do skate, like it's all of this is the same, right? It's like, be willing to fail, be prepared to fail. And failure does look like someone giving you feedback that is correcting you or, you know, like pointing out that what you said hurt them or offended them or was problematic. Um, and being okay and just being like, okay, I got it. Thank you for, you know, sharing that with me, not like getting defensive. And I mean, I've, I've definitely been there where I've gotten feedback and it initially it was defensive or whatever. And then maybe, you know, over time as I got older, like realizing, okay, like I can either go back and say, Hey, I apologize. I was defensive or just starting to know like, okay, cool. Like this is where the growth comes from. Like embracing those falls, embracing the failures, you know, like you look at really you know, advanced skaters, they're falling all the time, you know, they just learn to fall really well. And that's like things similar to like, you know, conversations around, you know, social justice or gender equity, gender equality. Um, so I think there's that. And then I also think like, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, same thing, like definitely can't learn a kickflip in one hour. Um, it's going to take a lifetime of practice and even to drop in or even, you know, just to skate. Like if you, haven't skated in a while and you get back on your board, it's going to feel a little rusty. So it's like, you got to put in the work consistently. And I think that's the opportunity right now when it comes to like racial justice is um, definitely agreeing with Ash and this idea of like, don't just ask the closest ease. Don't like, don't be like lazy and like pick the lowest hanging fruit, you know, like, which I think sometimes looks like just asking the closest, nearest, easiest person towards you. Um, If it's about race, then like, you know, asking that person a color or if it's about gender, asking like the only girl, you know, um, and instead like just doing a little bit, putting a little bit more effort into doing the work because we live in the era of like the internet. There's so much stuff online, you know, like there's a zillion books, films, podcasts, web videos, like comedy, like Instagram, like there's people like actively creating narratives and sharing their experiences through every type, like dance, poetry, like novels, nonfiction, fiction, like podcast, like there's literally every form of expression of people doing that right for a living. So I would definitely recommend like just getting curious and searching and and clicking Mm -hmm. and diving deep. You can learn a lot that way versus just like asking, you know, someone when they didn't even want to be asked, you know, or they're dealing with trauma or they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with. Um, and then the other piece too, is just like, if someone is an expert in putting their information out there or their lifelong experiences out there and they're wanting to do that publicly, then, um, if they're doing that professionally, like pay them, like buy the book, rent the film, like pay the consultant, like pay the speaker for their experiences. Um, and yeah, like just educate yourself. And again, it, that takes real time and energy. It's not just something someone can give you like a quick answer to. Um, so I think just educating and like, yeah, sharing your own experiences too. Like we just created this podcast because we felt like we wanted to hear and mostly elevate our friends and our community. Um, and of course our own, but like we have conversations all the time with people in our community. Um, and I'm always like, wow, like 
maybe someone else could benefit from this conversation, right? And nowadays the technology is there to be able to like put that out. So I think it kind of goes both ways is to like educate and listen, but also like if you're not, if you're in a space where you're not really seeing a lot of, you know, real life examples of things that are inspiring or help you feel like you're moving the conversation forward, then, you know, create it yourself. Um, and then I also think just like the last piece is like one takeaway that I'm really, you know, present to is like, we talk about putting the programs in the hands of the youth, right? So if we're, you know, serving youth, we're going to ask the youth, what, you know, do you want to lead today? What do you want to do? Like, you know, you step up, like, here's the microphone. Right. And I think, um, in that same kind of vein, like with, when it comes to racial justice, like listening to black leaders and experts who've spent, you know, their lives researching and, um, you know, doing the work and writing books and studying the history, like listening to them around what the solution is. Right. Um, and not just thinking like we have all the answers and we know what's going to work or not work. So, um, and I know it's not necessarily always uniform, but it's the first step is to listen to what are some of these leaders suggesting as a solution, right. Or what are they suggesting to do or to read or to watch? Um, and I think that's where, you know, the, the true transformation comes from and same with skateboarding. Cause for a long time, it was like, okay, there's not a lot of women participating, right? It was just like, before even just like diversity and gender identity, it was just like, okay, first we need to like step one, like 10 years ago, like there's no girls skating. Like how, like, do we like encourage more girls to skate? Um, and I think ultimately it was successful because there was women, you know, who were creating, you know, the skate like a girl, right? or the events or the meow skateboards or the WSA, the Alliance, like mafia TV, like all these different things, um, or the skaters themselves creating, you know, their own ideas for events or trips or photos or films or just media period, you know? Um, so as soon as it was in the hands of the people who were the identity, then that's when you started seeing the explosion and sort of the, um, the tipping point effect. So I think there's just a lot of value in like, giving them the microphone or like the keys or whatever you want to call it, whatever metaphor. Um, and that's where I think is a, is a good start, you know? All right. So we usually end the episode with acknowledging our guests, but today uh, we actually want to acknowledge you, the listener, or if you're watching the viewer um, and just our community of friends, you know, because most of the people who are listening and watching know us. Um, and, just letting you know that, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's going on right now in the world, what we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about people's lives, right? And people losing their lives and losing their family members and losing um, a lot, right? It's, it's, it's significant and it's urgent and it's heavy. And I acknowledge you, the listener or the viewer, our community, for being the type of people that are in this conversation, doing the work yourselves, right? And being part of like this world that we're creating, you know, moving forward. Um, I know it, at times it can seem really overwhelming and exhausting and daunting and you like 
we all feel helpless at moments. And like, I know that you, that you're someone who is actually willing to continue pushing and continue growing and learning and educating and um, taking on daily life as like a marathon mentality versus a sprint um, and putting in the work regularly, right? Because this show really is about, you know, being the best version of you. And that's not a finite thing. That's not a one and done. That's like every day, every week, every year, discovering how to um, like level up or evolve or peel away the onion layer. Um, And that's really like what, what we're about and what we hope, you know, that we can provide in these conversations. And we just thank you for being that person who is willing to grow and listen um, to us, but also to have the conversations yourself and um, just take a look at what does that look, you know, what does that look like for you in your daily life? So I just appreciate, you know, you guys, Sadie and Ashley and everyone listening for demonstrating, you know, what it looks like to continue pushing and not just sitting back and giving up. Ash, do you have anything to add? Yes, totally. Um, yeah, I, I want to like, I want to acknowledge folks that have come before us to like, give us the possibility to like have the positions, whether it's asking like a girl or it's like, um, as far as like the right to vote and like to walk around, the world in the ways that we do in this day and age. Um, and I also want to create space for, like you said, like people are losing lives still over the color of their skin. And like, that's no joke. And um, we're all committed to furthering the conversation to, to bring a stop to that so that everybody has um, experiences, equity and opportunity and prosperity in life. Um, and with that, I also want to acknowledge our folks that are watching this right now that have gotten through this whole episode or have watched our prior episodes, it speaks to who you are, somebody that's drawn to something like this. And um, yeah, I acknowledge you for, for staying uncomfortable and committed to your growth and the growth of folks around you um, and for any obstacles that you've had to overcome and deal with and navigate and maybe messed up and made mistakes and learned through those mistakes um, and that are going to continue to be unstoppable with your own personal journey and leaving something behind for those that come after us. Um, and through that being a better and better version of yourself every day, not just getting cozy listening to a podcast. So thank you for who you all are, um, for us and for each other and your communities. And I want to acknowledge the both of you for creating this podcast and creating this space this digital space and this space within Skate Girl for fostering these kind of conversations and making people feel heard and listen because everything you guys said, I feel like you guys embody. And so I hope as a listener, boss, as a contributor, like I find a lot of value from you guys and from this podcast. So thank you too for doing that for the community. You're welcome. And I'll just end with uh, a reminder that Ashley always says this, but like, you're the expert of your life. Like, we're not the expert of your life. Like, you know, um, the whole point of having a conversation is so you get to like explore and discover what it looks like to, you know, own your choices and be the person that you want to be. 
Um, which to me, that's kind of like what, you know, I hear when you say be the expert of your own life. So um, don't forget that. And um, thank you again for listening and watching and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye y'all. If you are having any negative thoughts after listening to this episode, we recommend calling a friend, sending us a DM or call 1-800-662-HELP. Uh.